Hi, Daniel here. This week's episode of The Ripple is sponsored by Deps, a private Maven repository service that I run. I created Deps because I wanted to use a Maven repository to host my company's private artifacts, but I didn't want to have to run a server. There's all the hassle of setting it up, keeping it patched, monitoring it, backing everything up. It was just too much work. Deps provides a cloud-hosted Maven repository, so you can get back to focusing on what really matters. If you enjoy this podcast, consider supporting me by signing up for a trial at deps.co. Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week is part two of a conversation with Sean LeBron, where we're talking about formatting closure code. Welcome to the show again, Sean. Hi. Hey. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a proposal that I made late last year about formatting closure code. You know, you've done a lot of work in indenting closure code and indentation is sort of part of fundamental to par and for how it works. So I'm sure you've thought a lot about the nature of indentation in closure code and found you know, different issues or how people have responded to different indenting ways. So I thought, you know, you'd be a really interesting person to talk to about this proposal. Yeah, I definitely thought a lot about it. There's definitely a lot of styles that I've tried to make par and for compatible with. So I have a little bit to contribute there. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So I thought I might just outline the proposal I had. So people, if they haven't read it, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But it's kind of a sort of half proposal, half manifesto to sort of get discussion. I sort of wrote it in a way that I hoped would invite other people to contribute. I've kind of got the idea of what sort of the principles that I'd like to see, but haven't really decided on any particular implementation or formatting style. So, so the idea that I had was sort of coming out of working with mainly JavaScript, but I've certainly seen these tools in other languages as well, where they've got code formatters and you know, Clojure has code formatters too, but the difference is sort of the degree of strictness in how they format the code. And so I think Go format might be the most well-known example where the creators of the Go language also created a tool called Go format, which would format your Go code in a fairly canonical style. I think there's a little bit of room for, it doesn't sort of completely erase all character from the code. There is a little bit of stuff that, you know, in terms of, I think maybe some more white space or indentation or how you line break things. There's a little bit there, but for the most part, it is very much a total formatter that takes over the, the style of your code and re-indents it to how it thinks it should be. And that's, you know, that's really nice if you're working in a large team where people have different editors, um, they're all trying to work on the same project, but they're, you know, if like you can see this in, in closure code bases that, and I've certainly experienced it when you've got people working with Emacs and Cursive and Atom and, you know, all sorts of different closure editors, or even, even within the same closure editors, if they're not configured exactly the same, you can end up with lots of indentation changes just by editing the closure code yeah. without necessarily meaning to, which leads to either people undoing those accidental changes, which is kind of a pain to do, or you've got a lot of churn in your code base. And so all of your diffs are bigger than they need to be. It makes it harder to sort of read your Git history later on because you know, there's so much white space churn. So um, the idea I had was, you know, is it possible to build 
something in the spirit in the style of go format prettier for javascript elm has something rust has something you know there's different different tools where they have minimal maybe no configuration where sort of we find some way of expressing a formatter that can reformat closure code to a canonical style and uh, you know have establish a standard i guess for the community and those who like that idea to adopt so i thought we could talk about the proposal maybe come in on a few of the finer points and yeah talk about talk about this some more yeah i really like that you're championing this this is kind of a very difficult problem not just because it's this is a language where this is where this automatic former isn't sort of come with the language and started you know on day one it's also because lisp has so many different sort of incompatible styles so if we look at closure style guide it's a very opinionated look and i think it's very like self-consistent but uh it certainly doesn't like agree with some of the styles that people use every day in their code so there's sort of like this inconsistent intersection of all these different styles and this kind of goes back to i guess lisp's lineage in terms of like how things are formatted this is a problem that I've struggled with in Parnfer and trying to make it compatible with these different things. And ultimately, it just has to take some concessions. And I think that's what this formatter is going to have to do. Is It's going to have to throw away some things, some of the conventions, in order to sort of make an auto formatter possible for the language. So whether or not that's worth it, we'll see. But we kind of have to understand the entire shape of this problem in order to see what our trade-offs are. And to kind of design a single solution for it. Yeah, and there are existing closure formatting tools around and they kind of have different, they're just targeting different parts of the design space. There's none yet. Uh, you know, maybe we could build on top of them or modify them. I kind of haven't, there's no sort of decisions made there, but they're, they're targeting different spaces. They're not targeting sort of this zero config canonical or you know nearly canonical format, uh, which is... I think a bit about sort of closures adoption and how it sort of exists in the the rest of you know where it sits with other programming languages and how the community internally and you know the the rest of the programming world perceives closure and one of the things that I am seeing more and more people talking about is how much they appreciate these uh code formatters that sort of uh automatically reformat your code um, and i've i've used uh prettier in javascript quite a lot that's i run that on any javascript that i'm writing that is not kind of that that is either already using prettier or it's code that i can control you know if it's some other open source project prettier might make a bit of a mess of it in its initial <laughs> yeah, uh, I noticed that, yeah. and the other one that i've also used is uh there's one called for python called black which is, again, a, a fairly opinionated tool. Uh, I'm not sure, have you used uh, these kind of things in other languages? So I have used Prettier a lot, and I kind of experienced the same thing that you did. It's like it's pretty nice to use it. I did see Black when that was first posted or released online. I think uh, I don't remember much about it, but I think it kind of took the baton from Prettier and was like, this should exist for Python, but I haven't actually used it. Yeah, I've, I've used a little bit. And the one thing which kind of stopped, I think they do have a config file for this, but was um, a bunch of the Python code that I was working on used single quotes for strings. And 
black really wanted to use double quotes for the strings and <laughs> I just didn't quite have the nerve to to try and reformat the code base with with double quotes and uh, push that as a as a as a diff so I use it sometimes, but uh, not always. Oh, really? That was like the main thing that kept you from using it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. It was. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, just just that I kind of, because I'm not the primary author of this Python code, I'm just editing it. Oh, it yeah. kind of felt a little bit like uh, if I were to push this through, like, are they going to be annoyed with me? Or like, I think they even liked using single quotes. So that's why they used it in the first place. So yeah, um, I kind of. <laughs> no, that's a high friction ask for sure to like to submit all these diffs for things that, you know, are pretty insignificant, but yeah, that's the whole point. Right. Yeah. And I think this is, there's many tricky things about this, but one of the tricky things is coming to a solution that enough people can agree on that it becomes useful. I don't think we're going to get everyone to agree on this. In fact, I know some people, when I you know announced this proposal, there were some people who were very strongly against it and, I'm not going to sort of name names, but one person said, "You know, this is this is nothing to be proud of. Building a a tool with that's that's with so little configuration or so little uh, yeah. flexibility, uh, which is kind of the point. Um, like yeah. the point is to build this tool with less flexibility, so that you can focus on other things. So, but I mean, you know, clearly, you know, Closure's been around for ten years. Lisp's been around for." 60 plus, I guess. I'm not quite sure yeah. how long, but there's a lot of history and baggage that people bring to this discussion and to closure. And as you said, it's not possible to accommodate everybody with this kind of tool. Um, you're going to have to make some concessions somewhere. So I'm sort of interested to talk with different people. I'm really interested in hearing. I don't have like a, a common list background or um, come from another lisp language so i'm really interested in hearing especially from those people and others as well of course yeah. but hearing from people who come from a perspective that i don't have like I, I haven't really written common lisp so i don't know like a lot of these conventions about the semantics of formatting like why are they there what's the historical context for them yeah i wonder if that historical context like it's kind of holding us back <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> it's like it's useful to know but at the same time Maybe it's best to sort of like take a fresher look at it. Yeah, well, one person uh, who took an extremely fresh look at it was Nikita Prokopov, uh, yeah. Tonsky, who came up with a formatting proposal which uh, was, you know, had sort of, uh, you sort of explicitly rejected sort of a lot of the closure and lisp sacred cows um, to <laughs> <laughs> to come up with, uh, you know, something with, with very uh, simple indentation where there was as far as i know sort of almost no semantic indentation would that be your impression yeah i mean there was nothing semantic about it it was completely determined based on the type of parentheses so if you if you saw like a a square bracket or a curly bracket it was one space indentation if you saw it with a, a round parentheses then it was two space and that was like yeah that's where he set the bar which was like interesting for starting the conversations and getting the immediate like uh, rejections, right? From people who are just like, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a very good point. Like putting out a proposal gives people something to react to and maybe they discover ideas that they didn't know were even inside themselves until they saw something which started pushing against those yeah. those things that they, they thought. Um, so yeah, that's... Uh, 
a very I'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes. It's a very interesting proposal. I I know a lot of people sort of liked it. I saw someone say, you know, let's just finish the discussion here and go with this. And you know, I think in, in jest partly. And I I can sort of I liked it too. Like I, I liked there was there was a lot of things to like about that tool. But I guess the I sort of keep coming back to this idea that just creating a formatter by itself, even a, a very strict one, is only going to be of value, and it's only something that I'm interested in developing that much by myself. If it's something that the community can agree on, they can coalesce around it and say, "Yes, we think this is a good tool to to do," and we're happy to. Not everyone, clearly, not everyone's going to want this, but enough people to what that means. Maybe like ten, twenty, thirty percent of the community. Something like yeah. that. I feel like that's probably, you know, unlikely to get much over that. I think there's just so much people are so happy with how their things are happening currently that they, you know, it probably would be difficult to get over that much. But even that would be, you know, valuable. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to get adopted for sure, and. I think if we kind of follow the example of what Prettier has done and I don't know, what, what did they do exactly? Maybe we can talk about that. I guess they, they started with this initial design of saying like throwing away all the white space, right? So I'm talking new lines, indentation, they just threw it all away. So that, that was kind of the ideal starting point kind of related to how Nikita just posted that blog post where it's just like very, very simple rules. So that was the starting point as people started complaining or as they just started understanding the implications of these simple rules, then they started modifying the rules. So that's, it's kind of an interesting process that I saw happen. One of the concessions that they, they made was sort of adopting something that the Elm formatter did in the Elm formatter. It would take white space as an input. It wouldn't always preserve it, but it was sort of this implicit flag from the user without having to explicitly get the user to set this option like, hey, I want multi-line objects or I want single-line objects if it fits. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. So rather than asking the user explicitly, it sort of implicitly allows the user to convey their preference by just looking at the current formatting of the object. So if the object is single-line, then maybe the user prefers it that way. But if... If the the current object is like multi-line, then it takes that as input and it takes that into consideration. So JavaScript started adopting this and kind of added this as a footnote to, hey, it's not going to throw away all the formatting. It's not going to be completely strict, but it's going to make some concessions based on like what's practical and kind of like allow it to throw its hands up and say, I'm not going to be too strict about this one thing. Here's how you can nudge it in the right direction that you prefer it in. Yeah, one of the things it does, Prettier does, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you've got your parameters, your arguments to a function are all on a single line, it will preserve it. But if you break them even over you know, two lines, it will then sort of break every argument onto its own line. Is that correct? Hmm. Have I got that right? Uh, I'm not. I actually don't know if it does that for arguments. Are you talking about uh, parameters to a, a function call? Or definition. Yeah. It might do that. I know for a fact that it does it with objects. That's why I mentioned that example. Ah, uh, right. Get... Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, it's definitely with objects uh, because it's just, there's so many different like edge cases. So rather than add options for like all these different things, I just thought that was such an elegant solution to just say, 
like just leave it as is as an implicit flag that's interesting yeah I, I think so too and one of the other sort of divides in the community i guess i mean there's there's many when you start to look at this very closely but one that's going to be particularly tricky to solve and i'm not even sure how how you would combine these two options or ways people like to do it some people like to indent or have their map values aligned you know when you've got a map with you know key value key value and they're split mm-hmm. over multiple lines yeah. some people like to have those all of the values line up vertically so you've got all of the keys on mm-hmm. one indent guide and then all of the values on another indent guide uh, yeah. and then other people like to have them you know a single space between the key and the value on each line Right. And there's similar similar issues there for let bindings as well. And I think even uh reader conditionals can also have a similar option. I know Cursive has a setting there as well, I think if I'm remembering that right. And these kind of have you know, they trade off of readability and diffability, maybe. Um is a good way to, to put it. Um where, you know, if you've got um uh, if you're indenting all of the all of the values to the longest one, then whenever you change the length of that longest value, everything else is going to be formatted back in in place to either longer or shorter, which you know creates a larger diff of of code, and you can turn off white space diffing in a lot of editors, which is sort of helpful, yeah, but doesn't quite like it. I wouldn't say that like completely resolves the issue, but um, at least it's something. I don't know. Do you have a preference when you're editing? Not really. I think I find so like aligning things based on columns is like uh, I think I mostly I don't even know examples of where I use this. Sometimes it's not even like within like a let binding. Sometimes it's just like a, a collection of lines where the function yeah. parameters have like different. So it's just. You see, I'm going to call this like the column layout. You see this column layout kind of in different spots and it's like hard to determine like where, I guess I'll mention, have have you seen elastic tab stops before? Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a general solution to that entire problem. And it'd be nice to just kind of like bring that in, but unfortunately the constraints are like, no, you can't ask editors to reinterpret the meaning of a tab character to mean like these flexible columns. Yeah. Do you want to explain what... Elastic tab stops are for someone who hasn't heard of them before. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea that came out in the early aughts. It's like 2003 or so. It was a way to sort of encode how people indent their code in programming languages. So it's it's specifically meant for programmers by reinterpreting the meaning of a tab character to mean a contiguous column. So it's really hard to explain with words. The visual explanations are pretty good, but I'll just try to say that, let's say, for example, like the fifth tab character in a line is going to try to match the width of the fifth character, uh, the fifth tab character in the previous in the following line. So it sort of creates ad hoc tables between lines that touch each other. So it sort of allows you to create like these dynamic table layouts within your code. So that would be a nice solution to this problem, but like, you know, our, the constraints are like people use white space, the, you know, normal spaces for this kind of thing. And I don't really see that working here, but it was, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's like kind of fun to branch out 
not just fun, but it's like, it's interesting to see, to understand the shape of the problem by looking at like all these different things and kind of bring that into the fold if it works, but I don't think it works here. Yeah. And I guess another important part of building this kind of tool is that it needs to be able to work in many editors, or at least we need to have a story for many editors that you could imagine, you know, different ways of doing that. Maybe you bundle it actually into the, into your Ripple, like your running program um, has the formatter living there. That would be, mm-hmm. I guess, at least, you know, everyone has a closure, <laughs> closure running in their closure project. So there'll be a place to put it. But um, I guess the challenge is working with all of these different editor APIs, which I'm sure you're well aware how different they, they are and what they do and don't provide oh, yeah. you. One example, I guess, of where a formatter needs to be quite sensitive uh, is I, I use VS Code a bit for writing Markdown. I'm not quite sure why I do most of my editing in cursive, but just when I'm sort of pulling up a small project, I might open it in VS Code for the Markdown. And there, there's a Markdown formatter that I use and drives me a little bit bananas, but it's got an automatic formatter which I turned on, like it's my fault. I've turned it on and it reformats the code, it reformats the whole thing. But the problem is every time I tab away to another browser to grab a link or whatever I'm doing, it runs the automatic formatter, but it doesn't take into account that my cursor is already on that line. One of the formatting steps it takes is it removes a single trailing white space from the line. So I sort of write, 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 space. Oh, I need to grab something. Go to another window, grab it, and come back and start typing again. And it's it's removed my space. Um, so I, I guess I, and my point in saying that is that I feel like this formatter needs to be aware not just of how to like format a whole file of code or a whole form, but it also needs to have some understanding of like if someone's partially editing something like don't yeah don't go uh formatting that line that they're on because they're probably not ready for that yet yeah that's sort of like apart from the core design of what this format is going to do but that's definitely something that Bojadar brought up in one of the threads i forget which one it was there's a couple of them now i guess it's part of the editor integration design part and he said that we should be able to well due to his experience with uh, i think it's called rubocop or some kind of auto formatter yes. for Ruby. Mm-hmm. He said it was just, it was a very important to the editor integration design to be able to run just for a subset of your code. So I think that would probably fix that problem as well as like just defining whenever it runs. So that, that's like also an important component to the design of this thing for sure. Yeah. And another place that I'd like to be able to, to do this is, I guess, extend it to like online editors, either, you know, builder maybe build something on the top of uh, CodeMirror or something else. And because there's there's lots of context where Clojure code is written, um, not just, you know, like a fully set up running REPL Clojure, Clojure project. And, I'm, you know, I want to be conscious of those different, different contexts, which is I think what makes one of the reasons why this problem is so difficult is that Clojure code, while we say it doesn't have a lot of syntax, I think there is kind of a lot of meaning in the in the white space and how things are indented and you often can't necessarily know all of that meaning unless you've got a running ripple to be able to introspect to say like when I indent when I you know enter key on this line with this function in first position what's the expected 
you know, should I indent this to like, you know, two spaces after the the start of it, or should I go out to the end? Or there's kind of a bunch of things here which need an understanding of the code, not just sort of a, a simplistic looking at the tokens and reformatting them without understanding the meaning of the code. Exactly. It requires the evaluation of a lot of code in order to get the indentation right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or at least uh, that's certainly the way it's been done so far. And if you want to carry on in that tradition, then you're going to need to get an understanding of the code from somehow. Maybe you can do that statically. The CIDR CIDR has an indent specification which can communicate sort of where these uh, can communicate a lot of these indentation rules. I think all of these indentation rules can be expressed in that format. So if you could read a project and read all of the indent specs for all of the symbols yeah. in that project and all of its dependencies and on down through the tree, you could sort of build up a static understanding of it without needing to evaluate the code. And I mean, that's that's kind of what uh, Cursive does, uh, not literally that exact thing, but it, you know, it can operate entirely you know, offline, if you like, there's no, you don't need a running ripple to understand the code. But, you know, Cursive is a, a monumental amount of effort building mm-hmm. on top of hundreds of person years effort on the IntelliJ platform. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, that's definitely going to be tricky to do. Yeah. I think there's like a, we can kind of paint a picture of like a spectrum. And on one side of the spectrum, and it's interesting because we have like the most opinionated people in the closure community on like both sides. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> it's it's interesting to kind of like set set the bar in both of those directions. But if you have a spectrum of, well, I, I'm not even sure what the spectrum describes. I'll just name the endpoints here. So on one side of the endpoint, you have Nikita's proposal, which was like very simple. We don't do anything with the new lines, and we adjust indentation based on the type of parentheses. So this stuff can be done like very quickly. It can be done without any analysis. It's like at the very bare minimum uh, what you need to do in order to format based on very simple rules. So that's Nikita's. On the other endpoint of the spectrum is Bojidar's work that he's done on, I think it's called Closure Mode for Emacs. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I guess, I guess yeah. it would be it, yeah. Um, so if, if you look into the the code of this, he has sort of, almost created a taxonomy for like all these different indentation methods. And the idea is like you sort of define your indentation inside of the uh, metadata of a macro, I think. So, so that macros can have like custom indentation types. I think all of them have like three different options for how you can indent inside of it. I can't even remember what they are, but the idea is like, this is full analysis. This is full specification of options. It's fully flexible and you can define it for any type of macro. So um, these are, like, if we're trying to paint a map of, like, all the different directions that we've gone, I would put those as, like, our endpoints. And it's kind of interesting to see how one requires, like, so much analysis, but it's probably, like, the most correct solution, but maybe it's too flexible. So if you go on one side, it's just, like, not flexible at all, like, very simple rules, sometimes does the wrong thing, according to some people, and then like a full specification of options, full analysis required, but it's kind of like the full solution. So like at what point in the spectrum do we need to go at and does any, does there exist any design that kind of exists between the two? Yeah. And I, and I think probably one of the key goals I've got is that this needs to 
be fast to like have high throughput, but probably just as important as high like fast startup time that you can run it and you know get a response pretty quickly. You know, you're not waiting, mm-hmm. you know, seconds just for closure to load all of the the stuff that it needs to load and then run over the formatter. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've sort of set out a bunch of things that I'd like, and it seems unlikely that I'm going to be able to achieve all of them. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure which ones, you know, like like this, you know, analysis of the code. If you take that to sort of the the extreme end point of evaluating all of the closure code, well, that just you have to evaluate all the closure code, which takes however long it takes, and mm-hmm. there's kind of nothing you can really do to make that all that much faster. I guess you can cache some things, but um, that route just sets if you go all the way down that path fully you you limit how fast um this thing can start up in the future and uh, i'm not really sure like (laughs) what the right answer is there well if you look at um kim kinnear's tool zprint yes i guess that deserves a mention here um yes we're painting a map of like uh, these different solutions he has certainly i think it's gone like really far down this road of like specifying options and these options I don't believe there's any analysis being performed here. I think, so if you were to look at like the breadth of options that are available in Bojidar's closure mode, you can kind of consider sort of reallocate all those options, like sort of away from like the custom macros that they're to describe and kind of put those on the user side to say, these are all the options that I'm specifying to sort of fit my own needs, right? So it's like so configurable, it has like, column type layouts for like all these different situations. I can't even do it justice by like summarizing all the stuff that it does, but any cursory look at this stuff and you'll be convinced that like all these options have been, or it's probably the most ambitious like collection of options. So that, I think that fits somewhere on the spectrum in terms of like an overwhelming amount of options, but it's like in a different place and it doesn't perform analysis. I think of it maybe in sort of an XY perspective that you've got sort of fidelity or communication on one axis and then sort of configurability on the other axis that's maybe one way and those two yeah. kind of interrelate to each other they're not completely orthogonal but yeah zprint is definitely on the configurable side of of things and yeah. you know i guess the one nice thing which zprint does and i think other tools do as well as they uh, compile themselves with the graal compiler to produce right. a static binary which can start up a lot Very, faster yeah yeah uh, we're still talking like hundreds of milliseconds i think oh really I, hmm. uh i should double check that maybe i'm incorrect on that one so you know maybe something like graal would be a good thing to build off this although you know graal can't one of the one of the limitations of graal is that it compiles everything ahead of time and doesn't do evaluation uh but you know like sort of dynamic code so i'm not sure how much you would be able to then evaluate closure code later on so whenever you try and grab on one of these ends of the (laughs) grab one of these things everything else sort of starts to shift as well yeah exactly that's like a really good way to say that and once you get a sense of the space you're just like is this even possible to do? Um, so it might take some genius, but just some careful design and thinking about the space and what it really needs to do and getting priority straight, maybe. 
Yeah. Did you feel like that when you were building Par and Fur? Did you sort of get to points where you just, oh, this is just, it's literally not possible to do what I'm wanting to do? Did you ever get that? Let's see. I got, not really because I wasn't really looking for it to begin with. And it was only when I saw it that I kind of got excited about the idea. I wasn't even looking for it, right? So like once I was just getting a sense of the, the space of the problem and kind of looking for just understanding if you just kind of like pursue the understanding of it without like maybe a particular goal i think solutions kind of emerge that way but it might be different here since we're kind of looking at the space of it with an intended goal to solve it when it may not even be possible but i definitely i felt that frustration with smart mode cuz it's like it's that's a very hard problem because i had a very particular goal in mind so yeah so I guess I'm interested in hearing from other people about this idea. Like if you're listening to this and you're you know got got some thoughts on it, you know, positive or negative, I'm really interested to hear from people who don't like it because you know, people don't like it and it would be great to be able to find some sort of compromise or way to to do things where they can like it and can adopt it. I'm not quite sure. I've been away on holiday last three weeks or so and pretty busy leading up to Christmas. So I'm sort of coming back to this this week. I'm sort of starting to think about it a bit, bit more. And I'm sort of thinking that maybe the next step is to start to build like a test suite of like here's, not to say these are like the final things, but just to start putting some stakes in the ground of at least some of the formatting things that we can do. You don't need to sort of define every, you know, can't solve all of these problems, but we can at least maybe try to find some common agreement on like, some things and get moving on the easier things possibly i don't know yeah. if uh, maybe, no, maybe even maybe even like putting a single uh, you know a single like making a single decision i guess someone's going to be probably unhappy about that so that's uh i don't quite know how to deal with with that yeah i mean the disagreement's going to happen but i think i think visibility of the different test cases is going to be really important especially for getting some opinions and trying to make some decisions about them. I think without a test suite, I don't know how else this is going to be made. Yeah, that's actually another difference in how I'd like this formatter to be in comparison to the other tools is that it's not defined by an implementation. It's defined by you know a spec and a set of tests. And because, like as you know, with Parinfer, different editors need different languages to, to integrate with them. And so... Right. We can't just like write one closure or JavaScript or Emacs Lisp or whatever. The, mm-hmm. You can't just write one single thing and say, well, this is the canonical format and everything has to be bug for bug compatible with whatever it is we write. That's, you know, makes things very inflexible further mm-hmm. down the line. So to create a spec and a test suite to say, you know, this is the canonical thing and yes, we're going to have at least one reference implementation of how this would work. But that's not the final word that people don't end up having to chase the exact behavior of of that um, thing. Yeah, that'll be useful. I'll have a, a core suite for that, not just for making decisions, but for kind of verifying the implementations across different ports. Yeah. And that's what you did with Par and Ferris. Is that right? You had uh, like a sort of visual set of examples and you could run the tests against them. Yeah, so I kind of mentioned the importance of visibility with these test cases. I don't know, it's like it's really helpful for momentum. 
if I'm just like constantly writing test cases in JSON, for example, then I would just like wouldn't have felt good about doing that or like have not really been able to use my senses to really understand what was going on and have to like have the emotional momentum to just kind of to keep adding test cases. But anyway, yeah, I wrote it all in Markdown so that you would just have, you know, an input block and an output block. And then I had just a small tool that would take and parse that Markdown and then it would create a JSON file from that. So what was really interesting about that is that it was almost sort of self-documenting because you, inside of Markdown, you would have code blocks, but before each code block, you kind of had a description of the goal of that test case. Mm. And it kind of created this nice browsable, like readable tests. I think Prettier kind of had the same kind of thing. It wasn't Markdown, it was just plain text. But the idea is like you can just create input output blocks. And I think they created a test uh, a test case for each file, and then they would just like index it that way. But the idea was the same. It's just, it's very easy and it's very easy to like create the test cases and makes it easier to browse as well. Yeah. One of the things I've been sort of thinking about when right, when I was thinking about writing these test cases was if I write them in a, in a closure file, then I'm going to be indenting them as I, <laughs> as I write, as I write them just with my yeah. editor's uh, indentation. So exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess one thing I want to mention is the, I don't know, but my contribution to the conversation, I think it was the last thing that I wrote on that issue, was kind of trying to adopt the flexibility of like taking the user input and kind of using that as an implicit flag and just kind of respecting whatever indentation was chosen. And then from that point on, like making it consistent within that form. And I thought that was an interesting thought to to contribute to that, but it's like, like if you make it that flexible, it, it's all, it's almost useless because it's, it's like, well, the user can do whatever they want now. So it's like, if everything is allowed, then like, what is the point of a formatter? So that's like another interesting fence post to kind of put down and say, like, that is perhaps like too much flexibility. So it's like, I feel like if we place enough fence posts, then we'll maybe find something within that space that we're kind of, that is kind of a minimum distance from like the solutions that we want or have looked at. I don't know. It's really hard to think about. Yeah, I, I agree. Every time I push in one direction, I sort of see, oh, that that's going to influence this thing. And I, you mentioned, you know, like, like the Go language sort of came out with this as part of, I don't know if it was like V1, but it was certainly very, very early on that they had sure. might have it might have been v1 but it was you know it wasn't the first release of go but certainly early in the life cycle of go they had this formatter and it was just adopted as the community standard and i imagine there must be some you know diehard people who dislike go and they format their code in their own manner but they would be you know in the tiny minority right. i imagine whereas you know closures had 10 years for everyone to build up their own opinions about stuff and hmm. you know coming in with a formatter now certainly the you know you, you've got a lot of th- things or you know a lot of decisions uh, have already been made about how people like to format things and and i'm sort of interested watching other languages who are sort of realizing this is a useful tool to have and they're adopting it now swift um, has one swift format there's rust format it's quite a lot um, of them yeah. now and but then they don't have the advantage. Elm, Elixir, they don't have the advantage of having introduced it at the same time as the language came out. Yeah, exactly. 
I think they kind of had the upper hand in not having the ability to add syntax, right? Like macros and things like that. That kind of changed yes. the semantics of yes. formatting, right? That makes things pretty difficult. Um, if we, if we yeah. didn't have macros, then <laughs> we could do something a lot simpler, probably. But I feel like it, if it, like all of those, like n- none of those languages that were talked about, like were lists, right? I don't, I just don't think this. And, and it's easy to kind of use history and say that um, because none of these things have ever happened, then it kind of won't happen because there's plenty of time for this solution to have emerged. I don't know, like 50 years, 60 years, whatever. I don't think that's like long enough. I think technology is, the technology is still like really, really young and it's kind of easy for us to forget that. But also like if it's to happen for any Lisp, it's going to happen for closure, right? So I think if it's possible, I think it'll it'll happen here, but it's probably only going to happen here. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for your contributions to this discussion uh, here and also online. Um, yeah, I really appreciate having your your thoughts and feedback you've thought about this space for a lot longer than i have so yeah i'm definitely wanting to build on the shoulders of of giants not just sort of <laughs> go it alone myself um i don't think that's gonna go that well so yeah thanks for thanks for coming on and talking with me about this yeah thanks a lot for championing us this is like really important so it's nice to see this proposal out there so thanks great thank you bye